this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, George Olszewski. Come along as Janie Shoemaker, Michael Dexter, and Holly Briggs talk with George about his career in transport nursing. Also, his recent nomination and selection for a BCEN award. This episode is called, Not All Heroes Are in Comic Books, Spotlight on the 2023 Distinguished CTRN Award winner. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCEN and one of your hosts for today. I am joined by my co-host for today, Janie Shoemaker, CEO at BCEN, and Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. Hi, Janie. Hi, Holly. Hi, Michael. Hey, Holly. Good to be with you again. Great to have y'all. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have George Olszewski. George is a flight transport nurse and paramedic working in New Jersey. George is also BCEN's 2023 Distinguished Certified Transport Registered Nurse, and we can't wait to get to know him a little better. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCEN friend, George? Yeah, I'd be happy to. George Olszewski started out in healthcare as an EMT in 1993 and finished an English degree with a minor in journalism before going back for his nursing degree. Since 1998, George worked in the hospital from the intermediate and step-down units to the ED at a level one trauma center, University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. It was there that George became a founding member of the critical care transport team at the trauma center. George continues to serve in both specialties of EMS and transport nursing at Hackensack University Medical Center's specialty care transport unit and Angel Midflight's aeromedical flight team. In addition to a CTRN, George holds the CFRN, CEN, and TCRN certifications, along with his certification as a nationally registered paramedic. George, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. I'm going to actually turn it over to Janie Shoemaker, who has met you in person, and let her get started out with some questions for you. Thank you, Michael. So hello, George. It's good to see you again. It was really fun getting to come to your EMS base there that you and your team were at when we got to meet you to celebrate your award with you. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was all the passion and pride that I saw from you and your team members. You're clearly all very proud of the work you do and and you should be. And that kind of segues great right into my first question for you, which is tell us about your career in nursing and uh, why are you so passionate about transport nursing? You clearly are. I got my start in EMS and I don't think I've ever really left it, even even if I, as I've moved up the certification ladder from uh, EMT to registered nurse to certified uh, transport nurse certified emergency nurse before that. I don't think I've ever really left that. I was just talking to one of my other team members and I had said, wow, EMS is really the only thing I've really done. I mean, I've had a a brief stint in intermediate nursing. I've had a brief stint in uh, actual ER nursing, but I've never really got out of that. Um, as a kind of consequence, I kind of developed into a jack of all trades, master of none, which 
it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing either. I've touched fingers with a lot of different areas and it's all helped develop a very well-rounded clinical base. I know that you talked a lot about, um, you know, helping people understand what all goes into, you know, the transport nursing and, and some of the pitfalls that go along with it. And so it's really interesting. I'm, I'm excited to hear some of the rest of the conversation with you as we go through our um, fun questions with you. So, Michael, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah. So, George, I, I did want to ask you some questions about that. I'm also a certified transport nurse, so it's good to meet one of the few out there. Ho- hopefully the numbers will continue to grow. Um, and, and there's a lot of variance between transport programs. And so there are some that are that are strictly hospital based that mostly run paramedic EMTs. There are some, you know, that do critical care and um, cardiac, neonatal. So for your particular facility, what is like a typical transport day or what is a patient population that you generally transport versus others that have to have specialty care providers like a NICU nurse or an ECMO specialist, things like that? It can really run the gamut. And just like working in the ER, you're never really sure what's going to roll through the door. Similar, it's similar in the transport environment. I'm never sure what kind of call we're going to wind up going on. Um, We could be doing a routine transport to a cardiac cath lab that maybe just has an end STEMI. As soon as we clear from that job, we could be going to another one of our facilities in bringing in a heaven drip ventilated ECMO patient that has how many comorbidities on top of everything. So, and then we have virtually everything in between. We, as far as NICU transfers, we tend to have a specialized NICU team, not necessarily on the EMS end, but we usually have a NICU nurse, neonatal intensivist, and a respiratory therapist go with one of our BLS crews. And that team is doing pretty much the lion's share of the management of that patient. And the EMTs uh, basically provide the ambulance and the vehicle. But we also have cases where they need somebody with a little bit more higher, higher clinical level to accompany them because they might not have everything that they need. So they'll pull from our medication as well as some of our experience. We tend to run uh, EMT nurse paramedic, and the paramedic is primarily the airway specialist, even though if I need to intubate somebody, I can, but our paramedic is usually the person most in charge of the airway. And it sounds like you you do have everything from neonatal pediatric all the way to adult geriatric patient populations that you transfer. Pretty much. And also... New Jersey, as far as the the air medical component, they have very strict standards by which they operate. So if there's even a hint of inclement weather, they're usually the aircraft is usually going down for weather, especially if the air medical program isn't running a larger aircraft like like a big Sikorsky or a Bell or something along those lines. We kind of like to joke when when rotors fail, wheels prevail. So if they're if they're grounded for weather or for whatever other reason, it's usually us that's going out to doing the the retrieval. So with that in mind, you've mentioned intubation and and you know some other skills. But for those that are listening that maybe uh, are interested in a transport role, whether it's ground or flight, uh, what are some of the skills that 
you feel are really required to be on a on a transport team? And what are some of the things that you'd recommend to others that come to you asking, like, how do I be a part of this? Definitely a well-rounded clinical background by working in both the emergency room and in a step-down unit where I hate to say it, but my unit when I was doing step-down was kind of like the dumping ground of the hospital. Too sick to go to the regular floor, but too well to go to the ICU. So I whip them into intermediate care. So I would get a lot of not so complex uh, post-ops where they need to go to the unit. I'll also get a lot of ventilated patients, a lot of peritoneal dialysis patients, um, a lot of significant comorbidities and things that you really have to look at, okay, different lab values. Certainly if you're on a ventilator, what are, what's their blood gas? If they're on heparin, okay, depending on whether you're looking at PT-PTT or anti-factor 10, um, are they therapeutic? Are they not therapeutic? Transitioning into the emergency room where you really don't know what's rolling in that door, uh, you can truly run the gamut of pretty much anything. So having a solid uh, background in various clinical environments, ER is definitely, ER and ICU would probably be the biggest areas just because there's, you, you never know what you're going to get. It definitely helps to have an EMS background just because you're familiar with vehicle safety, various uh, road conditions that you can go out in and what road conditions should you not go out in. If your area happens to have a practice where uh, nurses can actually go onto a mobile intensive care unit, work with paramedics and develop uh, skills to do higher level airway management, that can only benefit uh, your practice. I definitely had the EMS background, but until I started doing work as a mobile intensive care nurse, I never got that airway management. And when I transitioned into critical care transport, initially it was like, okay, what are the vent, vent settings? Plug them into the vent, okay, and off we went without really having the benefit as to the whys of why are they on that particular ventilation mode. If no, if their end title starts going up, their pulse ox starts going down, okay, what can I do? Because in in the back of the ambulance, it's me and my partners and that's it. In the hospital, I have every resource known to mankind pretty much at my beck and call. In the back of the vehicle, it's us and that's it until we can divert to uh, an emergency room or make it to whatever facility we're going to. Thank you, George. I really enjoyed just hearing about how each area that you have experienced in the past, your EMS background, your time in the step-down unit and the ER, how that all has kind of just culminated to your career currently. And you've been able to really apply all of those things. Um, and you've been a part of transport nursing. You've been in this profession since 2004, a long career staying in, in an area. And so what are some of just the biggest changes that you have seen in the transport nursing profession over this period of time? Probably one of the 
bigger changes is transport nursing is coming into its own as its own specialty. Flight nursing has been around for a while. Emergency nursing, as far as their own independent certifications go, has been around for a while. And before it used to be like, okay, well, let's just throw a nurse in the back of the ambulance, give them uh, an EMT or a paramedic partner and, okay, go forth and conquer. But it's really starting to delve into its own profession, whereas, you know, flight nursing has its own little quirks to deal with. So does ground transport. And with the advent of newer and more sophisticated transport ventilators of, say, the Hamilton T1s, which can pretty much do darn near everything. And what's even better about the Hamilton ventilators is that Basically, if the new ventilation mode comes out that, you know, some pulmonologist or respiratory therapist comes up with, basically, it's just a software upgrade to the ventilator, which is a major leap forward. But uh, I would think the biggest thing to come about would be the maturation of transport nursing as its own separate specialty. Um, Looking at the BCEN uh, certification numbers, CENs are fairly impressive. Um, flight nurses are are pretty good. I think they're somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, five thousand, somewhere between five and six thousand. Transport nursing has relatively few, but they're they're uh, certainly growing by leaps and bounds since I got certified as a transport nurse, and I think we're poking in the neighborhood of like five six hundred now. So. That's that's a pretty impressive jump. And the more people who get into it or even learn about the the credential, I think you're going to start seeing that uh, grow to at least the numbers that the uh, flight nurse certifications are. All right. Wonderful. Thank you, George. So I, as I said earlier, got to got to experience the way that your team members um, look up to you and really spoke so highly of you when we were there to celebrate your award. And it's clear that you've done a tremendous amount to encourage others in their pursuit of lifelong learning and, you know, going to the next level with a certification and those kinds of things. As people come to you and say, boy, I'd really like to be a transport nurse myself, whether that be ground or flight. What kind of a personality do you think it takes to to be able to be happy or thrive in that kind of a role, George, outside of the, of course, the education and skill set, but what kind of personality? Certainly a uh, an ability to work with varying personalities and not just the patient population, because let's face it, we're not there um, on their best day. Something has either gone completely awry or they've had some sort of medical complication where they need to get to the hospital with the specialists. So that's always something that we have to deal with. But we also have to deal with varying degrees of clinical specialties, whether it's a floor nurse that has no idea what's going on with their patient, but they know that they're sick and they need to get out. Um, Anxious physicians that might have a patient with one foot on a banana peel and one foot in the grave. And of course, you've got family members and patients that are like, 
okay, they said they're going to be doing this, but I really don't know what's going on. Can you tell me? And you kind of have to be that bridge. Hopefully you can say, okay, this is what's going on. And this is what kind of needs to happen. I, I've been told I've been either blessed or cursed with the ability of putting complex medical procedures into plain English. I have a backpack in, in my ambulance where, okay, I have a patient that is, okay, what's a stent? How does that work? I used to be an electrician before I went back to school to get my journalism degree and then become a nurse. I have a little cable pulling harness, which kind of looks like a stent that I just happened to pick up in Home Depot. And it's like, oh, that can help me explain what stents are and how they work. But having that ability to explain stuff that doesn't sound like all sorts of technological gobbledygook to them, that's a that's a crucial skill to have. Uh, also, I think it always helps to have a degree of humility. Um, there are certainly a lot of things that I don't know. And if there's a shift that goes by where I don't learn something, it's a rarity. But having the ability to say, I don't know what that is. Can you tell me? Can you explain to me what's going on? Um, rather than just kind of bulldoze through a situation without any sort of guidance. Um, so definitely being humble, being open to learning. You don't necessarily have to be the expert in the room, but surrounding yourself with the people who are only makes yourself that much better of a clinician. I love that advice. If you don't know, don't plow through, find out, you know, find out what the right answer is or ask somebody. I, I love that advice. George, you know, you mentioned about education and how you have to constantly educate yourself and and learn more. And, you know, you personally have done that a lot with your certifications. You talked about going and getting a degree in English and then going back for nursing. And you've been a lifelong learner for sure. It's important to do that, but not everybody does. And, and now you're going to school for a master's degree. And so what's really driven you to want to be certified in multiple specialties, to want to go back for your master's degree? I know education is important to you, but why do you believe it's been so important to you as a person and, and to your career? One of the things that I kind of picked up when I started interviewing for flight positions is a question, what do you think is your biggest weakness? And okay, it's it's great to be able to acknowledge what your biggest weakness is. But what I think a lot of people don't really pick up, at least initially, is they're not necessarily looking to see what your greatest weakness is. They want to see how are you mitigating that weakness. Pediatrics was always one of my biggest weaknesses. And one of the ways that I mitigated my bigger weakness with uh, pediatrics is I became a balance instructor. It kind of forced me to get my brain wrapped around different concepts, how you, how you treat children clinically as opposed to adults. 
likewise, because I don't see children very much in my clinical practice, most of my people, most of my patients are uh, sicker adults. I started studying up to get my certified pediatric emergency nurse certification, try to mitigate that. And just in preparation for that exam, relearned a lot of things and flat out learned things that I wasn't very familiar with. I'm, I've, I also think that the more education that I get, I could better impart that to the rest of my team. I worked with a paramedic who's now one of our uh, one of our clinical coordinators with an ECMO patient that had a PEEP requirement on their ventilator that ours was not able to provide. So as we're driving to the facility, we're kind of wargaming different scenarios. Okay, can we try uh, different ventilation modes? Can we try like inverse IE ratios? Um, and it turns out all of our wargaming didn't really matter because they wound up doing their thing at, at the sending facility. Um, but that sharing of clinical expertise is in handy. Um, I have four of the six uh, BCEN certifications, and just my studying up for those certifications um, kind of helped me expand my clinical base so that I can handle different problems. And that's not to say there's still not things that I'm entirely comfortable with. There's things change way too, way too much and way too quickly. And there's, I forget who came up with the original axiom, but if you want to learn how we did things five years ago, read a textbook. I want to find out how we did stuff two years ago, read a journal article. I want to find out what we're doing now. Talk to your physicians and your clinicians in the halls, in the ERs because they're actually on the bleeding edge of stuff. So if you're not getting educated, then you're really doing yourself and your patients a disservice because you're not keeping up with new stuff that's going on. Not that you're not going to be a good clinician, but you could be a lot better one if you if you kept up with education. That is uh, no truer words there. I'm going to shift gears just a little, George, because we'd love to hear you tell us about a person or a moment in your career that really impacted you? That's a, that's a rough one because there are so many, um, but two that stand out most in my, in my head, I had just started in a level one trauma center and I was, I won't say I was drowning, but I, I, I felt like I was just barely treading water. And I was kind of surprised that I was making, making it shift to shift. And I was probably a good year into, into my time there. And I'm walking through the hall, going out to my car at the end of the shift. And I had this stunning realization. Holy cow, I really can do this. I'm making it. I'm doing it. And, you know, that gave me the the motivation to keep going, to keep playing, to keep making myself better. Question why things are being done, why things aren't being done. One of the other 
bigger influences to my career. Um, I, I was working on a critical care transport unit that also did a paramedic level 911 jobs. And we had pick up, picked up a person who was a very, very new onset stroke. Um, you know, threw in two IVs. We didn't have TPA or anything like that in the field, but we could certainly get them to the interventional center in a hurry. Uh, and then I would say maybe about an hour later, give or take, we come back to that same emergency room and I'm seeing that very patient being wheeled out of the, the interventional angiography suite going up to neuro ICU. And they couldn't even speak, much less move one whole side of the body. But we explained everything that we were doing, why we were bringing them to the facility that we were. And with the arm that she couldn't move an hour before, she reached out grabbed my hand and said, thank you. And that thank you got me through years of horrible shifts. That thank you has gotten me through so many bad moments. And that kind of gave me the courage and the stamina to keep going. And, you know, here I am almost 20 years later. And it's always interesting to hear how, how long a thank you lasts. It usually is a, is a quick moment, a patient or family member, or even a coworker, someone of your peer just saying, Hey, thank you so much for, and then that moment comes and goes, but you reflect back on it. And it's almost like it pushes you on those moments when you you don't really feel like being there and doing what you're doing and stepping up but yet you can reflect back on that and say like man I really I'm going to keep going because I remember how great it felt to be able to be the answer to someone's problem and even if it wasn't like the whole answer but you were there to give them what they needed at that moment. And it's so, it's, it's just, it's so fulfilling. And like I said, it's just, to me, it always reminds me to take time to say thank you. And that might be a moment, you know, kind of like what you just said, like that could be that moment for that person. So thank you again for sharing that. And I get the fun part of the podcast. I mean, I know the, the whole other part has been fun too, but I get to ask some very fun questions so that we can get to know you a little bit better. We call it our rapid fire session. So what would you be doing if you were not in your current role? So like outside of healthcare, if you could pick any career, what would you want to do? Well, the original reason why I went to get a bachelor's in English is uh, I initially wanted to write comic books for either Marvel or DC. It took getting maybe about three quarters of the way through the degree when I realized that, yeah, I'm an okay writer, but a lot of the people that were writing at the time, uh, comics fans, I'm sure will recognize the name Chris Claremont and... Frank Miller uh, on his run in Daredevil. And I realized, wow, these guys are so much better than I am. Um, so if if I had my druthers, I'd probably be working for a Marvel Comics. 
That's awesome, George. I think it's rather interesting that, you know, anyone I know who has kind of like a comic book lean or interest or hobby, there's definitely some dividing lines between the two, you know, like you're kind of either like a big DC fan or you're a Marvel fan, or like you have like your genre of like, this is, this is the best. I feel like everybody has an opinion about what is the best comic book series, but I don't really have an opinion and I do enjoy, I do enjoy like a good comic and or movie based off of comics. So I'll pretty much watch them all. So I'm not as distinguished and not as knowing (laughs) in that realm. Okay. So we have a couple of favorites in a row here. And again, these can be all time or it can just be something that you're into right now. So your favorite book. Favorite book. I don't know. I kind of think it depends on my mood at the time. Um, probably, um, one of my favorite book series is the Dragonlance Chronicles by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Awesome. Favorite movie, or it could be a TV show. And again, it can be like best of all time or just something you'd recommend to us. I've been binge watching Suits lately. Um, I never watched it until it had gone off of uh, cable and, I just kind of saw bits and pieces on YouTube shorts and as I kind of liked how the characterizations went. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to check this out. And uh, I've been binge watching it ever since. I like it when you find a show, especially one where like there's multiple seasons of it. And like, for whatever reason, it just wasn't on your radar and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I have multiple seasons to watch as opposed to having to wait for a season to come out or God forbid that they only produce one season of a really good show, which that is just, that's the worst. So, all right. Favorite musical artist. Again, it can be like best favorite go-to artist of all time, or it can just be someone that maybe you're into right now. No question. It's the Canadian band Rush. I was a huge fan going back to, God, when I was 12, when my best friend introduced me to, I think, their third album, Conan the Barbarian with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It just come out. And next thing you know, I'm listening to it and kind of got hooked. And when they finally got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013, they were the last band that Jan Wenner uh, announced during the broadcast. And it was probably maybe about a good two or three solid minutes of just cheering. And then, of course, the camera pans on the three guys who were in Rush. And they were just completely overwhelmed. And I think so was, so was Jan Wenner. But yeah, I've uh, I've been a huge fan of Rush. I have a very diverse taste in music, but uh, my go-to band has always been Rush. That's awesome. I'm glad that they they finally got their due. You know, all right. Here's a here's a good question. This might divide us a little bit. We'll see where our friendship goes. Comfort food or a meal that you really enjoy? Ooh, it depends on my mood. I go on these kind of kicks where I'm really into one thing for maybe about a good three, four, six months, and then I move on to something else. 
But I think if there's any kind of go-to comfort food, it would probably be your typical American steak and potatoes kind of thing. Awesome. How do you take your steak? There are two kinds of ways to take take your steak. Uh, medium rare and everything else is wrong. <laughs> so huh. I, I'm a medium rare kind of guy. You know what? You're not the first person who's told me that. So <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, George, are do you have any other hobbies or kind of like what is something that you do for like self-care to kind of help reset? Well, I've I've got a fairly diverse range of books that I read. Um, because I'm going through a nursing administration degree, I'm kind of picking a little bit here and there of different uh, leadership influences. I've liked Richard Marcinko's uh, leadership books. He was the founding commanding officer of SEAL Team 6. I also like Jocko Wilnick. Um, I'm reading his uh, leadership uh, secrets book right now. I also liked George Patton, um, not necessarily because he was very bombastic and very, you know, kind of a, like a larger than life figure, but he had a viewpoint of, okay, let's, let's set a, a pretty big goal and let the people working, working with you and underneath you impress, impress you with their ingenuity. I also attend a uh, tracking and wilderness survival school here in New Jersey. You wouldn't think that New Jersey would be a site to have a wilderness awareness and survival school headquartered in the middle of the Pine Barrens. Um, It's a really diverse area just from a biological point of view. So you've got a lot that you can learn in just that area. As far as anything else, um, I kind of get a kick out of teaching. Um, I've had EMTs who were going through nursing school that were confused about the concept and then we've managed to kind of pull them along and help them with easy mnemonics that, you know, don't really come from anywhere, but it seems to work for them. And then watching them kind of blossom on their own and start their own new careers. That's, that's always fun to experience. Well, awesome. Sounds like you've got some things to help you reset. Now, George, if our audience wants to follow you online, what social uh, media platforms are you on? Probably the best place to find me would be LinkedIn. It's not a very common last name and not very hard to find. Absolutely. And we'll include that in our um, blog on our Podby platform. So thank you so much for sharing that, George. I appreciate it. Yeah, George, thank you for sharing all your expertise and and really for promoting this whole specialty of transport nursing and, and education, lifelong learning, all of the things. It's been great to hear the stories. I wanted to echo what Janie said and Holly said about, you know, the patient's story with the stroke. It just a really powerful to hear that there's so many things we do each and every day that can feel less rewarding and sometimes can feel very monotonous, but being able to see the reward, to see the 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 change that is impacted in an, in an individual's life uh, is so rewarding. So thank you for sharing that story and for all that you have shared with us today. It's been really nice meeting you. One of the other things I like to say is I'm, an, I'm, I'm really only as good as the rest of my team. 
So if the rest of my team is good, that just makes me look that much better. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in the position that I am or um, have even gotten the, the distinguished award if, if it weren't for them. My award is just as much their award as it is mine. George, thank you very much for doing this podcast with us. We really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today, George. And once again, congratulations being our distinguished CTRN in 2023. Thank you very much. It's there's no more autonomous field in nursing and, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I want to take this time to thank George for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, George, for sharing your experiences, your expertise, and your passion for transport nursing. Again, congratulations on your Distinguished Award. It's very well-deserved. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new, meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Janie Shoemaker and Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCEN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out. Thank you.